Oh, man. Hey, good morning. Welcome to uh, MRCC on a nice, sunny, I was told that we're not in summer yet. So this is a nice, sunny spring Sunday, right? It's This is the hottest spring I think I've ever been a part of. Um, I was also told in first service that I'm not allowed to pray for rain, so I won't do that. Uh, but good morning. Uh, welcome. Welcome. My name is uh, Tyler. I'm a youth pastor here at MRCC. I get the privilege of of serving alongside this team and uh, hanging out with a bunch of teenagers all week. That is that is the uh, epitome and peak of my job is I get to hang out with teenagers. Uh, but I do have a few announcements uh, coming up for this week and, and this summer. Uh, tonight is our Women's Night of Worship here at MRCC. It is going to be at 6 p.m., and it is for all of the women in our community and our congregation. Uh, just a time for us to come, or not us, uh, for our the ladies. <sighs> all right, sorry. Uh, the ladies to come and worship um, and just enjoy some fellowship and community. And so we hope to see you here at 6 p.m. in the sanctuary. Also coming up, um, summer camps. Uh, June 26th to the 29th is our kids' summer camp, and then July 20th to the 24th is our youth summer camp. Registrations are going to come up very, very quickly, and so uh, I just invite you to uh, register your students. And uh, at MRCC, we believe and and know that uh, we don't want money to ever be an issue for a student to not go to camp because camp is where things happen. Camp is where the Holy Spirit moves, where we experience Jesus, some of us for the very first time. Um, and we never want money to be an obstacle to come across. And so uh, if you are in need of a scholarship or anything like that, please don't hesitate to reach out to Pastor Allison or myself or even call the church office. We will gladly uh, get you connected and squared away. Also coming up on June 18th, so that's two weeks from today, is uh, Father's Day. But uh, all the dads are like, all right, well, I don't want any recognition. So we won't give you any recognition on that Sunday. Instead, we're going to give it to our high school graduates. Uh, and so if you are a parent of a high school graduate, we want to honor them because uh, they're accomplishing something uh, that they've never done before. And it's and, and it's kind of the, the start to adulthood. And so we want to um, honor and that. And so if you could email me, I th my email was up there. Will you throw it up there one more time for me? Tyler at MRCC now, it is a baby picture, appropriate, okay? Just got to clarify that, appropriate. I am good at Photoshop, but still, uh, and a senior photo. We want to honor uh, your students. And then uh, also coming up, or not coming up, but if you are a guest here, if this is your first time here, I invite you to either take out your phone and scan the barcode on the seat back in front of you or fill out the connection card. We just want to get to know you uh, at MRCC. We don't want to sell your information. We're not going to show up at your house unannounced or anything like that, but we just want to get connected with you here this morning. Pastor Greg is is uh, bringing the word. I'm not supposed to say that. Sorry. Well, listen, tomorrow morning before staff meeting, we'll talk about you going to the women's worship thing, so bring that back to me and we'll connect on that. No. Good morning, everybody. It's good to see you. Welcome on a gorgeous morning to second service. Welcome to everybody who's joining us online. We're thrilled that you're doing that, and it's it's good to be back. Uh, gone last week for vacation. You probably didn't notice, but I was, uh, and it's good to be back. Uh, 
We didn't go camping on Memorial Day weekend. We're smart enough to know that you never go camping on Memorial Day weekend, right? Right? Because it's always not going to be conducive to that. But it's good to be back. Missed you seeing you last week. I really mean that. A couple of quick things to add before we jump into God's Word. One little thing and one big thing. The little thing is that uh, this afternoon, uh, the MRCC Motorcycle Club is going to meet at 3 o'clock. We're going to go for a ride. So if you want to be part of that, a couple of hours, uh, just meet out here in the parking lot at 3 o'clock and we'll head out. We don't know where we're going. We're just going to wander around for a little bit and then come back. Everybody's welcome. Somebody asked me, can ladies come on their Of course ladies can come on their bikes. So whoever wants to, although I think the ladies worship uh, night thing is happening today. So uh, so that's the little thing. Then the, the big thing is that, you know, I was just reflecting all week when I was gone. What a beautiful and amazing thing it is. How faithful and generous in giving that we are as a church. You know, as we watch this children's center go up next door and you know, I, I constantly reflect on how many people have given so abundantly to that project, how faithful our church has been for so long to bring that to pass and to have there be no debt and all that kind of stuff. That's just amazing. My heart is full. Thank you to everyone who understands that things like that happen when we are dedicated, when we're steady, when we're committed over time. And some of us have been waiting 15 years for that uh, children's center to go up. And here in just a couple of months, we're going to be able to occupy it and use it. Just exciting stuff. So thank you uh, to everyone for your faithfulness and your grace uh, towards that. Uh, grab your Bible, if you would, this morning, church, and, and open it to Luke's Gospel, chapter 8. And we're going to continue our, our road trip through the Gospel of Luke this year. And, you know, it's been a couple of weeks. Two weeks ago, we had Weston and Allison, the missionaries to Malawi with us. Last week, Pastor Allison brought the word over Memorial Day weekend. But now we're, we're getting back to that road trip. And let me remind you what we're doing. We live, you and I, here in 2023, we live in what we might call the age of the deep fake. It has never been easier to misrepresent someone than it is now. It has never been easier to be what Jesus called a false prophet. That is to attach his name to all kinds of things that aren't really of his heart. And Jesus said that would happen. And he said the way we'd be able to discern that difference and not fall into the deep fake trap is by simply paying attention to who he really is and his word. And so we said this year, we're going to spend the whole year road tripping through Luke's gospel with the Lord. And this morning we find ourselves in chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. We're going to work down pretty rapidly through most of the chapter, down through verse 39 this morning. But let me begin by asking you a question. And the question is this, have you ever overheard a conversation you weren't meant to hear. You ever been in that situation? Yeah, maybe you've had your conversation overheard when you didn't meet. We've all been there, you know, whether it's overhearing the people at the next table at the dinner at restaurant or whether it's, you know, hearing the kids in the next room. I came across a website this week that listed things people overheard in public, and I thought I'd share a few of them with you, things overheard that weren't meant to be heard. For example, Darren Midas writes... I overheard the policeman who pulled me over whispering into his radio as he came up the side of my car, this isn't our guy, this one's got pants on. <laughs> Welcome to the world of police officers, right? You know, living with that reality. Um, a, a dad, a father named Mohammed Sarah, overheard his four-year-old and his six-year-old boys talking in the next room. 
And he heard the four-year-old say to the six-year-old, are you sure this is a good idea? And the six-year-old said, trust me. And dad says he never moved so fast from one room to the other to find out what was going on because of what he overheard. Another dad, I like this one, overheard his seven-year-old daughter introducing herself on the playground. She said, hi, I'm Isabella. I'm good at coloring and gymnastics and fighting to the death. <laughs> you go, Isabella. It's all about that. Another uh, seven-year-old boy was overheard saying to his dad at the British Museum of Natural History, Dad, when you die, can I use your skull to strike fear into the hearts of my enemies? <laughs> Fun stuff you overhear. Overheard outside of a laboratory at Cal Polytech University, one guy saying to another, Dude, we can't build that or we'll end up an episode of Black Mirror. <laughs> you know, if, if you're familiar with that sci-fi show about things going wrong. Overheard at the coffee shop, a mom saying to her adult daughter, look at those young people over there, honey. Are they doing Tai Chi? And her daughter saying, no, mom, they're just trying to get a Wi-Fi signal. <laughs> That's all they're trying to do. That's, That's all that is. Overheard again from a child on the playground. I love this one. I'm just sad today. Oh, wait, there's nothing to be sad about. It's a happy day. <laughs> you know, that's kind of where kids live. Just a couple more. Overheard from a man talking on his phone at a sidewalk restaurant. Look, man, I need to tell you about the monkey. <laughs> I want to hear the rest of that conversation. I don't know what that was about, but I want to hear it. Overheard from a teenager in my youth group. I overheard one teenager talking to another years ago in my youth group. He had brought a friend and he said, that's Pastor Greg over there. He tells great stories and most of them are true. <laughs> what? Are you kidding? His name was Aaron. I haven't let him forget that. Of course, of course then you think I'm making this stuff up. But yeah, sometimes when we overhear something, we learn more than we would have learned if we were in the conversation. Sometimes what we overhear changes our understanding even more than what we're meant to hear. For example, I remember when I was in middle school, you know, and navigating all the, the challenges of trying to figure out how to talk to girls, you know, and nervous about it and everything. And then one day, though, at lunch, I overheard one girl saying to another girl, she thinks Greg is really cute. And overhearing that changed everything. Now I'm full of confidence, right? Now, I mean, I understood why she had glasses, but I was also full of confidence in talking to her. It changed everything. Sometimes what we overhear is more significant than what we, we hear deliberately. If you could, who, whose conversation would you listen in on? Maybe uh, uh, your kids, uh, maybe your husband, maybe your wife. We all feel that because we know that what we overhear is sometimes more significant. I remember, on a personal note, being in a busy foyer between church services many years ago, and I overheard one man talking to another, and he said, you know, Pastor Greg's not perfect, but when he talks, I feel like he's really trying to tell me the truth. And I remember hearing that and just affected me deeply. Gosh, I... Maybe I'm doing something right somewhere. Sometimes what we overhear is more significant than what we hear. And I, I share that with us this morning because what we're going to do today is overhear several episodes, kind of a long stretch on the road trip where you go through several towns. We're going to hear several different little episodes, and we're going to overhear Jesus in the midst of them. And let's remember, church, 
when we hear Jesus, we are overhearing eternity. When we hear Jesus speak, we are hearing the creator of the universe reveal himself. We, we are getting to know him through him. We are overhearing eternity. That's why Jesus said, for example, in John chapter 5, these words. He said, I tell you the truth, Greg. Whoever hears my words and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. She has passed over from death to life. When we overhear the Father and believe what he's saying. And we're going to do that with Jesus this morning. So Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 16. Let's overhear several things that he says. Verse 16, chapter 8. Jesus is speaking and he says this. No one lights a lamp and hides it under a jar or puts it under a bed. Instead, he puts it on a stand so that those who come in can see the light. What's he talking about? We're going to see in just a moment. There is nothing hidden that will not be disclosed. Nothing concealed that will not be known and brought out into the open. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen. We might expect him to say, consider carefully what you say. But he says, no. Consider carefully how you listen. Because whoever has will be given more. And whoever does not have, even what he thinks he has will be taken from. Now remember, Jesus is saying these things right after having taught the parable of the sower. Last time we were together two weeks ago on this road trip, we heard the parable of the sower. Jesus said there's four responses to the gospel. It's kind of like seeds falling on four different kinds of soil. Having said that, he then closes the moment by saying this. And, and what he calls our attention to is the fact that in the end, there are really no secrets in any of our lives. And we only deceive ourselves if we think anything will remain secret. Now, the key to understanding what he's saying here is that when he says no one puts a lamp, you know, lights a lamp and then puts it under a bed or under shade, he is the light of the world. He's talking about himself. God has placed the sun in the world to give light. And he says what the sun will do is reveal everything that's secret, everything that's concealed. Therefore, since that's the case, he says consider carefully how you listen. So to kind of grasp this in our modern context, have you ever accidentally sent a text meant for one person to somebody else? Have you ever done that before? We've all probably been in danger of that, if not having done it. Some years ago, I sent a text to my wife. Hey, baby, I love you. You're the best. Looking forward to seeing you tonight. And it went to a lady in the church who was not my wife. <laughs> you know, she says, uh, Pastor, did you mean to send this to me? Ah, you know, and so um, she's still around, by the way. We got that worked out. But uh, have you ever done that kind of thing before? Jesus says, hey, understand that all your texts will be public someday. The ones you send and the ones you don't. <laughs> the ones that happen on the inside, the ones that happen on the outside. You know, we should most be able to grasp this as 21st century people because one of the things we've learned is that anytime you go online, you leave a footprint. Nothing that happens is secret. It's, there's a record of all of it. Matter of fact, I'm going to share an illustration about that in a moment. But Jesus is saying, hey, Live inside of that awareness. 
let me reveal to you that there are no secrets. Now, why does he say that? To scare us? No, he says that so that we'll be honest and authentic and real, that we will understand there are no secrets so that we will go to God, confess our sins, and receive his grace. That's what his goal is. That's what his purpose is. And so he says, because of that, there are no secrets. Are you pretending that there are? Are you telling yourself that you've got secrets that will never come out? God says it's not true. He says at the end of the day, everything comes out. In March of 2020, a 94-year-old man by the name of Friedrich Berger was surprisingly arrested in the quiet neighborhood he lived in outside of Oak Ridge, Tennessee. His neighbors were amazed. His friends were blown away. But what eventually became apparent was that this man they had lived with for the better part of six decades was actually a murdering SS Nazi psychopath guard at a death camp. And when the death camp was liberated, he was put on a ship to be brought to America as a POW. And on the way to America, the ship was sunk and everybody went in the water and many were rescued, some weren't. But what happened when he went in the water is that the whole collection of POW cards that identified everybody were soaked and then disintegrated by the seawater. And so when those folks were brought to shore, his background seemed a secret and he assumed it would never come out. But the Simon Wiesenthal Center that hunts down uh, Nazi war criminals to this day and has for the last nearly a century, they figured out a way to take those pieces of disintegrated cards and put them back together electronically and identify every one of the people on the boat. And they found out who he was, and the police came and arrested him, and they took him to prison. God says it's the same with us. We can say, gosh, you know, that was a long time ago. It's a secret. Nobody knows about it. I'm good. But he says, no. It's all coming out. Everything will be revealed. That's not terrifying if you've gone to God and confessed your sins and received his grace. It is if you haven't. And so what is the Lord saying? He's saying, hey, listen to this offer I'm giving you. Don't be deceived into thinking that your secrets will remain secrets. Instead, be humbled by the fact that they'll come out. Come to me, confess your sins, and be forgiven for them. Be cleansed from them. You know, the very first thing that human beings did, our Bible teaches us, after sin entered the world, was they started pretending. They sewed together costumes and pretended to be who they weren't. And God comes searching for them and says, what are you doing? And in the same way, Jesus in this moment is saying, don't, don't think that you can pretend your way through life. The truth will come out. But I'm here to meet you in the truth and give you my grace. Therefore, consider carefully how you listen to me and to what I'm saying and to what I'm offering you. Now, this pretending thing, it's endemic. Uh, I remember when our son Isaiah was little and for his birthday, he got some Superman pajamas, and he did what any little boy would do. He thought they'd make him fly, so he climbed up on the couch and jumped off. And uh, I can remember Mom holding him. He's bawling. It hurt. Oh, they don't work. And Well, no, you're not Superman, right? You're Isaiah, and we love you. We want you more than Superman, you know. It's, it's like the, the Disney Pixar film Toy Story. Do you remember that? Buzz Lightyear. Remember Buzz? He thinks he really is a space ranger, right? Woody knows better. And Buzz is going around pretending all the time and thinking that's who he needs to be. And then the, really the whole story is about Buzz discovering that he was made for Andy. That's why he has Andy's name on his shoe. And, and the story, in the story, Buzz realizes 
that it's better to be that than to be who he was pretending to be. And God wants you and I to discover the same thing. He wants us to know it's better to be who we really are. And that happens when we let the light of Christ into our lives, when we listen carefully to what Jesus is saying and then experience the grace that God wants to give us all. And you say, well, how do you listen carefully? Well, it's just really a matter of paying attention to Jesus, taking it seriously, not letting him be just a character that you hear about occasionally on a Sunday or in a video or in a movie reference, but your own walk through your own Bible, listening to what he says, watching what he does, hearing his heart. You know, he told the parable of the sower, and let's remember in that parable, what happens to the seed that falls doesn't depend on the seed, but the soil. And so when Jesus says, consider carefully how you listen, it's against the backdrop of, hey, the soil, the seed will fall. The question is, is the soil willing and ready to receive it? Wherever it does receive it, there's blessing. And so Jesus says, first thing this morning, listening to me is what creates authenticity in you. Let, 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 me, let me talk about this for just a moment. We love it when somebody else is authentic. We know when they're not. We aspire to be real and genuine and authentic with the people in our lives. But there's always this temptation to pretend, to, to try to be what we aren't or to be something that we aren't. And, and that temptation is always there. Jesus says, this is not intuitive. Jesus says, listening to me creates authenticity in you. It's what you want. And it happens when you listen to me. I will reveal you to you. You will recognize that you're a sinner. Then you'll come to me for grace, and that will make you real because then you will live humbly. Christians are people who know we are saved by the grace of God, and that humbles us and makes us patient and open and willing and joyful and all the rest. And so what Jesus is talking about is, is really brass tacks here. And then, and then the scripture keeps moving. Look at verses 19 to 21. Now, Jesus' mother and brothers had come to see him, but they were not able to get near him because of the crowd. And someone told him about it. They said, hey, your mother and your brothers are, are standing outside wanting to see you. And you can imagine this person's heart in the moment when they said that. This person was probably a mother or a brother. And they were saying, hey, your family's here. Family comes first. You need to set aside the crowd and go meet the expectations of your family. But Jesus contravenes that. This is something that's not popular with most today, but Jesus is repeatedly pointed about it. He said, my mother and brothers are those who hear God's word and puts them into practice. So let's understand this a little bit. First of all, your life and mine will constantly be inundated with the expectations of other people, whether it's our employers, our neighbors, our friends, you know, people we meet, uh, and, and most especially often our family. Most of us live in a cloud of expectations that come from our family. And sometimes those are good and right expectations. Jesus talks about how we should honor our father and mother, provide for our own family, you know, and, and all that. But he says at the end of the day, the key to doing that well is to belong to God first. In other words, he says, we shouldn't think of ourselves as belonging first and foremost to our families but first and foremost to God and God's family. And the, the delicious irony in this is that, gang, what makes us, what enables us to love our families best is that when we love God first, 
You know, mom, you want to be a great mom? The first step is to learn how to be mothered by God, to be a daughter. Guys, you want to be a great dad? The first step is to learn how to be fathered by the father, to be a son. And it's out of that that flows our ability to bless and love our families well. This is a big deal. We are not that that particular brand of uh, a, a church where we say family first. No, instead we say God first, and that's how I bless my family. Jesus does that relentlessly and repeatedly. I love to tell the story about my grandfather, who was so important to me growing up, and I look forward to every moment I got to spend with him, you know, because things weren't great with my dad. And, and, and yet, I remember one day he took me, and we're out shooting, which we did often, shooting, fishing, all that kind of stuff. We're out doing that, and I was being very irresponsible with my rifle, and, and Grandpa saw it, and he just came unglued. He snatched it out of my hand. He chewed me up one side and down the other, put an end to the day. We drove home. He dropped me at my house. I bawled. <laughs> I cried. And yet, a couple of weeks later, he called me back and said, hey, let's go shooting again. And, and what I came to understand was that in that moment, Grandpa loved me so much that he was less concerned about how I felt that day than my safety. He was less concerned about whether or not I felt good around him that day than that I learned from him what's true and important. And to this day, I am endlessly thankful for how he taught me to respect firearms and how to handle them. And I look back on that, and I'm going so glad that that day, all he cared about wasn't how I felt. In the same way, God says, you and I must understand first that we belong to God. Only then can we go and bless our families the way that we are meant to. Let me ask you this morning. Do you see yourself as belonging to God first or your family? And then let me ask you this. Which do you think they really need most? Do they need you to belong to God or do they need you to belong to them? Now, the secret to great parenting is being parented by the Father. And Jesus calls our attention to that going through. You know, uh, I, I, I've had to learn a, a, a deep lesson as a pastor these many years. And that is that, that I can't meet everybody's expectations, that I can't make everybody happy. And maybe you learned that a long time ago. It took me a while to figure that out. But here's what I also learned that when I set out in my own life to relentlessly please God first in every way that I can, I end up blessing the people around me. I end up blessing the church more than if I just tried to please the church. And in the same way, God says, hey, each of us, understand that you belong. Listen, church, you will limit your ability. We're not going to dwell on this much longer, but you will limit your ability to know the Father well if you see yourself as belonging more to your own family than his family. God's church, the Bible says, is his bride, his wife. Sometimes we say, I have God, so I don't need church. That's like saying to the husband, I want to hang out with you, but I don't like your wife. He says, game over, can't do that. She comes with me. And Jesus, in the same way, challenges us. But he challenges us because he knows that we bless our families as we see ourselves belonging to him first. And then he goes on. The scripture says, One day Jesus said to his disciples, Let's go over to the other side of the lake. And so they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. Matthew tells us he was exhausted from a whole day of teaching and healing. And he fell asleep. And a squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped and they were in great danger. 
And the disciples went and woke him, saying, Master, Master, we're going to drown. Mark tells us they said, Jesus, wake up. Don't you care if we drown? It's this moment of panic. And the scripture says that he got up, rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided and all was calm. And then he said, where's your faith? What happened to your faith? What does he mean by that? The disciples, in fear and amazement, ask one another, who is this? He commands even the wind and the waters, and they obey him. And church, the lessons that we're meant to grasp out of this moment are simple and straightforward. And the first one is this. Whatever storm you're facing, Jesus has power over it. Whatever storm you are facing, Jesus has power over it. He wants you to understand that. He wants you to know that. He wants you to feel that. But also, he wants us to grasp that fear overcomes us when we don't listen to him carefully. Stop and consider this. Before they got in the boat, what did Jesus say to them? We're going to the other side of the lake. We're going over there. Him having said that, they had a choice when the storm blew up, which is why Jesus asked, where's your faith? Their choice was to say, ah, we're going to die, or to say, wait a minute, this looks bad, but he told us we're going to the other side. Somehow we're going to get there. I don't know how but I'm going to trust him. It's because Jesus wanted them to feel that, just the same way a parent wants a child to feel a lack of fear because the parent is there and has control of the situation. God wants us to feel that kind of security. When he says we're going somewhere, it means we're going to get there. And he wants us to rest in that. And by the way, this has a profound uh, implication if Jesus seems to be sleeping in your life, if God seems to be asleep in your life, there's two conclusions you can draw. One is that he doesn't care. The other is that there's nothing to be afraid of. Guess which one he wants you to assume. Guess which one he wants us to assume. Let me pause for a minute and sit down in this and ask you this. What has God told you about where you're going because you're a believer? Do you remember? Here's what he said over in John 14. He said, Greg... Don't let your heart be troubled. You trust in God, trust me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it weren't so, I would have told you, and I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, that means I will come back and take you to be with me that you may be where I am. In other words, we're going there. That's what he said to you. That's what he said to me. Now he invites us to believe that promise. Whether the storm happens or doesn't happen, whether he seems to be sleeping or whether he's wide awake, he wants us to experience the peace of faith. If God is seems to be asleep in your life, you can draw one of two conclusions. You can either say, God, why don't you care? Or you can say, maybe what I'm afraid of, I shouldn't be afraid of. You know, the implication in this story is that even if Jesus hadn't calmed the storm, they would have got there. It just would have been a wild ride. I remember when our son Isaiah was young and we first took him on a roller coaster at Silverwood, right? He's about, I don't know, seven, eight years old. And we went to Silverwood for a family vacation. He'd never been on a roller coaster. We took him on the roller coaster. And I remember sitting next to him as we cranked up the hill there. And he's like looking around, doesn't know what's going to happen. I said, you're going to love this. This is going to be awesome. And then we started going down the other side, right? He starts screaming. 
and carrying on. And, and he did something I didn't expect. I don't know if other kids do this or just my son was unusually weird. But he grabbed a hold of my arm, dug his fingernails into my arm, and he started hitting me as hard as he could. Right? He's like, bah, 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 bah. You know, and wh what was he thinking? Why did you put me on this? This is your right. Why did you do this? But I was looking at him, and I'm laughing. I'm going, oh, put your hands up. Oh, right. By the end of the ride, he was laughing too and putting his hands up. And the same way God says, hey, I got you. We're going home. I'm preparing a place for you because you believe. Uh, and if I'm preparing a place for you, that means that me, remember me, I got all the power, nothing can stop me. Me, it means I'm going to take you to be, I don't prepare a place for somebody who's not going to ride. And so I'm going to get you there. And he wants us to sit down in that. He wants you to sit down in it and experience the security and the peace of it. When he asks the question, where is your faith? It's not a condemnation. He's not downing them. He's saying, no, remember, I gave you a promise. Stand on it. It's the concern of a parent for a child, a child who's afraid of something they don't need to be afraid of. Maybe, maybe you've been blaming God because you're scared of what's happening, because you're listening to the news too much because you're listening to him too little, or maybe both. The Lord wants you to know that he's, he's doing something right now, and that's taking you home. And the things he doesn't do right now don't need to be done because he's got it under control. Once you lose your fear of a storm, it's a thrilling thing. The Lord wants us to grasp that. And just in passing, as we turn into the home stretch here, one more thing we can take away from this story is that, you know, before he stood up and calmed the storm, nobody could have guessed he would do that. I mean, nobody thought, well, he can command. The, that's why in amazement they said, wow. In the same way, he's capable of things in your life you can't even imagine. And when the time comes for him to do them, he's going to step in. You're going to go, oh, didn't see that coming. Wow, I didn't know you could do that. He wants us to rest in that. He wants you to feel the peace of that. When he steps into your storm, and it's only a matter of time, he knows exactly how to completely restore the situation. It reminds me when I worked in the ER one night, we had a motor vehicle accident come in, and a part of uh, the people who were injured was a 12-year-old girl. She had been thrown around the car pretty good, and when she came into the ER, the paramedics were really working hard because she was increasingly having trouble breathing. She had uh, external injuries, but nothing that would cause you to think she should have trouble breathing, and her airway was open, and so there was kind of a, a tense moment. The ER doc walked in, and he watched her for a couple of seconds, and he instantly knew what to do. He went over and he pulled out a little needle. He put it between two of her ribs, punctured it in there. A bunch of blood came out. The blood that was collecting in her chest cavity and preventing her lungs from expanding, boom, she was breathing again. I remember going, oh, well, that's why he's the doctor and I'm not. <laughs> he knows something I don't. He has power to do things I don't even expect. And in the same way, God wants you and me to recognize that. And that's what this story is about. All right, let's kind of let's finish this up. In verses 26 to 39, we're not going to read it all the way through, but they get to the other side of the lake and they encounter a demon-possessed man. Some of us are familiar with this story, some of us not so much. So let's break it down for a moment. The scripture tells us, verse 27, that this man came running towards them for a long time. This man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. You know, today, we might assume this is a mentally ill guy, homeless, because in those days, the homeless congregated in the tombs. Today, they tend to live under 
bridges or in side streets or wherever they can find a place to camp. In those days, they would move into the tombs because it was natural shelter. They could get out of the weather in the graves. And this man had been doing that, and obviously his life was out of control. He is possessed by unseen forces, and they are destroying him. They've stolen his will, his reason, his freedom. They've isolated him. People have tried to help him in their own power, the scripture tells us, but it hadn't worked. This man is experiencing a life-controlling problem. The first thing we're meant to understand from this story, please hear me, friends, we're almost done, is that Jesus has power over your life-controlling problem. You may think nobody does because you've tried everything in your power and because all those around you have tried everything in their power. But he has power, they and you don't. Your life-controlling problem is something he has power over. And he demonstrates it in this case. He commands the demon to come out of the man, and it does. Now, right before that, interesting little detail, the scripture says in verse 28 that the man shouted to Jesus, what do you want with me? I beg you, don't torture me. Now, the first thing we want to grasp is that because we've all watched too many movies from Hollywood, we think that demon-possessed people can only speak with demon voices. But this guy went back and forth between the demons and his own mind. And in this moment, he's in his own mind, and he says, I beg you, don't torture me. When we're listening to the devil we tend to think that the changes God wants to make in our lives will torture us. The truth is, they'll set us free. This man is saying to Jesus, don't don't do anything because you're going to torture me. Jesus said, I'm not here to torture you. I'm here to set you free. In the same way, sometimes he steps into our lives and he says, hey, I want to change how you handle your finances. We say, no, torture. He says, no, I want to set you free. I want to change the way you relate to your wife, your husband, the way you talk. I want to change the way, the attitude you take at work. I want to change who you forgive and who you don't forgive. I want to change the way you relate to your friends. I want to change how you choose your friends. I want to change stuff. And we say, oh, no, don't do that. You're going to destroy me. He says, no, I'm not here to torture you. I'm here to set you free. He sets this guy free by doing what the man thinks he doesn't want done. And you say, well, why wouldn't he want out? Well, hey, you know, there were a few thrills going along with being demon-possessed. Scripture says he could break chains. Scripture says he could overpower crowds. There were times when the flesh would be thrilled by that reality that Jesus knew could never satisfy his soul. And so he came to cast it out. Sometimes we need to surrender to what he wants to do more than what we want done. Again, I remember when Isaiah was small and one summer he got a splinter under his fingernail. You know, you've seen this before. And When kids are like that, it hurts and they run to dad and, you know, dad, help me, help me. And I could see he had a splinter, a little trickle of blood. I said, oh, son, give me your hand. No, <laughs> don't touch it. Son, I can't take the splinter out if you don't let me have your hand. Ah, here, take it. No, don't touch it, you know. Finally, you just got to wrestle him down and sit on him and take the splinter out, right? In the same way, we can be the same. God wants to step into our lives and set us free. We're resisting because we're afraid of what he might take. And by the way, that's where the last little detail in this story comes in. The scripture says that Jesus cast the demons out. And because we're all, you know, over-educated by PETA, we say, why do you have to send them into the pigs? Well, let's understand a little context here, okay? First of all, in Jewish traditional culture, pigs are unclean animals. 
So the fact that these people farmed pigs meant that they had already rebelled against and separated themselves from godly culture, from a godly lifetime. Now, God gave Peter a vision in Acts chapter 10. Pigs are not unclean anymore. Go bacon, amen? Okay, so we're not there anymore. But in those days, these people, by being swine herds, by being pig herders, had identified themselves as those who were rebelling against God and against God's ways. So when Jesus sends the demons into the pigs, he's really saying, hey, you guys, this is not the way forward. <laughs> this is not the way for you to build your economy, your culture, your lifestyle. There's a better way. And in these Jewish context, it would have been instantly and immediately understood. To, for us to kind of understand it a little bit today or to maybe make an attempt to understand the significance of this, have you ever thought to yourself, I know I have, maybe the best thing that we can do for our Native American tribes is not turn them all into casino managers. Maybe that's not the best thing for the tribe. It's that kind of thing that's being said here when Jesus allows the demons to go into the pigs. And it's interesting how the people of that area, those people responded. They said to Jesus, go away. We don't want you around. You're scaring us. You would think to yourself, he comes and demonstrates power over supernatural forces in the life of this man who had tormented their community. You would think they'd be going, yay, this is awesome. Stick around, show us how we can deal with this stuff. Be a part of what we're doing. But instead, all they thought about was their business, what they had already known, the lifestyle they'd already chosen. And as a consequence, the scripture says they wanted Jesus to leave they told him to, to go away. They wanted him to leave their community. They couldn't imagine that God had more for them than what they already knew. Sometimes we face that same challenge. These people did in this moment. As a consequence, they missed out on what Jesus could have brought them. All the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into a boat and he left. They would rather have what they already knew than what he would lead them into like a drug addict who would rather have another fix than the freedom that they really need. I remember when I was a young believer and began to understand how much my music was affecting me. I was all about music. Grew up in an unchurched home. I had thousands of dollars worth of cassette tapes. Anybody remember cassette tapes? I had all those. I listened to them all the time. It was a big deal. Memorize the lyrics. That was my thing. And then when I became a believer and started to learn from Jesus, and he said, hey, Greg, what you put into your head is what's going to come out of your life. You want to think about this, what you think about, what you listen to, what you rehearse, what you participate in. And slowly, I became convicted that this wasn't the best thing for me. And it was hard, but one day I took thousands of dollars worth of cassettes in a big garbage bag and threw them away in the dumpster behind my house. I thought, oh, I'm losing something. It's going to be terrible. No, no, no. God gave me back music in a better way. And, and that kind of potential, that possibility is there for all of us. I don't look back on that day and go, darn, I don't have those cassettes anymore. First of all, who can play a cassette anymore, right? But, or a CD. But yeah, there's that reality there. And that's where the last part of this story comes full circle and where we wind up. The scripture says in verses 38 and 39, the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away, saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Now, here's the beauty of this moment. The people are afraid of Jesus, and they want him to leave. So Jesus says, hey, I'm not going to force myself. But I'm going to leave you this guy who's going to tell you about me. I'm going to put this guy in your world. You know him. He's a walking miracle. 
you've seen his changed life. I'm going to leave him here because guess what? Even though you're sending me away, I'm still seeking you. I still love you. I still want you to come to me, to put your faith in me. And the man, the man is like, I want to go with you, Jesus. I've got a great plan for the rest of my life. It's going to be better. And Jesus says, I've got a better plan for the rest of your life. I want you to stay here. I want you to go tell the people you've always known, the people around you about me. And, and, and that's where we end with a question. Are you telling God mostly what you want or asking him what he wants? At the end of the day, you will be infinitely more satisfied by doing what he wants for you than by doing what you think you want. That's what this man discovered. And so often we get so caught up because we're living in our own little world like the swine herds. We can only see what we can see and we think this is what we need, this is what I want, this is what I gotta have. God says, I got a better plan. Listen, church, his plan for your life is better than yours. And at the end of it, you'll be happier with his plan than your plan. The guy says, I wanna go with you. He says, no, I want you to stay here and share what I've done for you. In the same way, God's calling a lot of us to be local when our head's in the clouds. We want to be out there, over there, doing this other thing. God says, what about the people right around you? Your neighbors, the people you work with, your friends, your church, your community. I want you to stay here. I want you to be part of this. Let me finish with a story. There's a brilliant moment in this, the film Field of Dreams, one of my favorite movies, right? Everybody's seen it. It's old, but you, you, most people have seen it. In Field of Dreams, part of the story is about this man named Archie Graham. He's a doctor in a small town. And when this baseball field happens out in the Iowa cornfield and the players come in to play on the field from back in the day, Costner finds himself led to this doctor who, when he was young, had a dream of playing in the major leagues and actually got onto a team at the end of one year, a losing team. They just brought him out to check him out, but he never, he never got to bat, but he always wanted to just have one good at bat in the majors. And Costner says, what if I could give that to you? <laughs> and so he goes to the baseball field and he's, magically turned into a young man again and he's getting his chance but before he gets to do it a little girl on the sidelines starts to choke on a hot dog and pretty soon she's you know unconscious and he comes over to the edge of the field he knows if he steps over the edge he'll turn back into an old man who's also a doctor and he really wants to play in the major leagues but he stands there at the edge he thinks about it for a moment and he steps over and he turns into an old man again who never got to bat and he knocks the hot dog out of her throat and gives her back to her parents. And it's just this beautiful moment when Costner says to him, it would kill most people to never experience their dreams, to get that close and not be able to do it. And he says, no, the tragedy would be if I never got to be a doctor. In the same way, God knows that you're going to say, the tragedy would be if I never went local, if I never asked what God wants, instead of only just asking what I want. And this morning, he's inviting you to do that. He's inviting us to do that. Would you bow your heads, close your eyes. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Jesus, we thank you that you let us overhear heaven. Lord, help us to listen carefully. We're so close to leaving this temporary baseball field and becoming real people. Help us to listen carefully to what we overhear about eternity from you. Send us from here knowing who we really are because we listen to you. Becoming authentic because we listen to you. Becoming who you made us to be because we listen to you. We pray for that. Send us from here 
over healing eternity, we pray. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Would you stand with me, church? Yeah. Somebody said to me this morning, Pastor Greg, when you get back from vacation, you're like, can't keep going. You're going so fast, you can't stop. I'm sorry. All right? So, I, but what the Lord is saying is real. Now, may the love of God the Father, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the fellowship of his Holy Spirit go with you throughout this week. Go with God. Tell someone you love them. Have a great afternoon.